Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of All Out War, episode number 125. 125, Rosie. I can't, I can't believe it. Yeah. Not only is it, not only do we have 125 under our belt with the standard podcast, we also have, we've done three now of mm. the private episode. If you haven't signed up for the private episode, go sign up for the private episodes. I'm getting such great feedback. People really do like it. They enjoy it. And um, they feel like they're getting to know you and I better. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to promote it because it's a bargain. Uh, but, you know, we promised 20 episodes for $40. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to promote it. But uh, anyways, uh, Rachel will not be with us for this episode. Mm. She uh, has family stuff going on. So unfortunately, we won't have the wonderful Rachel with us for this episode, but she will return. So yes, with babies, things like this happen, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so what do you know, buddy? Hey, did you know um, that... The same guy that invented Steakums also invented popcorn chicken. Popcorn? No way. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Isn't it? I mean, two really good, in my opinion, two really good inventions. Yeah. Did he Did he jump on the popcorn shrimp as a second follow-up or know. was that somebody else, I wonder? That's that's a good answer. I don't know. Because the popcorn shrimp is something to, something to write on. I, I, like. I don't eat seafood. Oh, really? Yeah. You are missing out, man. No, I'm not. I don't trust the ocean. I don't trust anything in it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> if if Jesus were, were, was feeding me, I would have been like, eh. I'll <laughs> you just take been, some more what, bread. One of those I'll take g- some more bread. More I need bread. the fish. <laughs> have you ever heard Jim Gaffigan talk about Jesus turning bread? No. Uh, oh, man. Because he, he loves food. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, anyways. Uh, I bet you the bread was amazing that Jesus made. <laughs> <Probably> <laughs> multiply. Was, yeah. It was like perfect. Yeah. Well, I got some other uh, did you knows. What's that? So in uh, 1989, a Soviet MiG-23 pilot ejected over Poland. Big it, mistake. His plane, why? Poland's and Russians do not get along well. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, there's still the Soviet Union. 89. Was Poland part of the Soviet Union at that time? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess they were, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. His plane continued flying for 900 kilometers. <laughs> it eventually crashed in Belgium and killed one bystander. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's, dude, that would start an international war yeah. if that happened today. Yeah, I got some other. I got, so I, I was going down this list. I found this uh, a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't trust airplanes either. See, I don't trust the water. I don't trust the sky. God made me very good at staying on, staying put on on solid. That's my land, flat ground. That's my right. purpose. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, that's your purpose to, to be on to stay land. On, stay on land. Yeah. So you would um, never skydive. No. Scuba dive. No. Neither of those. No. Dude, you are missing out. No, I'm not. Yeah. No. A lot of fun. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So here's some more lists of crashes, which I thought were funny, airplane crashes. Uh, Pinnacle Airlines Flight 3701 was a crash where the pilots chose for fun to exceed aircraft limits. So you should not, this is, I am. Heed the warnings. Intentionally saying these things of, uh, you should not trust pilots. And my uncle was a pilot. You shouldn't trust pilots. That's why. You should trust the AI that drives that planes now. Anyway, <laughs> they basically don't do anything. They land them. I know the barely the, land. The computer yeah. lands it. Yeah, and everything. They don't do yeah. anything. Yeah, but uh, Aeroflot 
is the name of the company. Oh, dude, I've flown Aeroflot. Really? Russian, yeah. Oh, okay. They used, so to, call it, they used to call it Aeroflop. <laughs> they had the worst record. Really? Yes. Well, maybe it's because they have these two next flights. So 593, a crash in which the pilots let miners fly the aircraft. <laughs> 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 this is the worst one. Um, uh, uh, actually, I'll skip to the. Uh, I'll skip one. I'll leave this one the last. United Air, Air Airlines Flight Two Eight Eight Five was a crash where pilots let the engineer fly the plane. <laughs> the engineer. <laughs> this is the best one. Aeroflot Flight Six Five O Two. Oh no. A crash in which the pilots bet they could land blind. Folded. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you this. When I flew home from Russia, we st- I was in Sochi, and it's surrounded by the Caucasus Mountains and okay. uh, the airport. And so we had to we had to hit the runway and then like go straight up. Mm-hmm. And I was in the very back middle seat that went right across the back of the plane. Mm-hmm. So my whole like in front of me was the aisle, and I saw all like there was. When it when it went that upward, nobody was ready because yeah. it was just kind of taking off. There was no like fasten your seat belts, whatever. You know, it was just like bing, and then like all of a sudden <laughs> we're going. And uh, and what happened was is when it went nose up to go up over the mountains, a chicken. <laughs> I kid you not, a chicken came rolling down the aisle and like six bottles of vodka. <laughs> So was a chicken in a cage? No, it was loose. <laughs> <laughs> when you fly in other countries, they don't have the same rules that That's we true. have. But uh, it was uh, uh, the bottles of vodka didn't surprise me that the pilots would try and like let an engineer or a miner or yeah. or, or, or like fly blind blindfold because they were probably already half yeah. half drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Three sheets to the wind, but I thought we were going to hit the mountain, dude. It was like the whole thing was like, like, and I'm in the back where it's the worst. If you're ever in an airplane, the closer to the front you are, the better the ride is. That's why they put first class up, Mm -hmm. you know, at the nose. But um, yeah, it was terrifying. It was a massive plane, too. Yeah. I've had some bad flights. Have you? Yeah. I remember I feel bad. uh, (laughs) There was a couple flights where, uh, we lived in uh, third world countries mm-hmm. where they, I remember this one time, I think we went to uh, a vacation somewhere and we had to take a little like, uh, what they called, pond skippers? Puddle jumper, Puddle yeah. jumper, that's what it is. And uh, literally the airport, we had to drive to the airport. Yeah. And it was liter- literally a shack yep. with four plastic chairs in it. <laughs> and it, when a plane would land... And again, a little like eight seater plane. Right. Yeah. The whole building was like you know, <laughs> blown over by the propeller. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, because I, I, <laughs> I think there was like three of our families like that all went on vacation, so we literally had to like, bye. You know, <laughs> hope I see you, Richard's again. family. We'll see you in twenty minutes. You know, yeah. something like that. Um, this other one, I feel bad. So the first time when we were flying out to that third world country. Um, we had one leg of the flight. It was, uh, I think it was 28 hours total that we had to fly back. Wow. Yeah. And we had to do it. Wow. Uh, the first time we flew over was coach. And then my dad was like, we're never doing this ever again <laughs> with like two <laughs> kids. Cause I was the oldest. It was like, I was eight. And then it was like seven and four, you know, Oof. my sisters. And so anyway, the first time we flew back, my, uh, my, we were coming back to the States 
we'd come back every summer. And so they put it, my dad flew enough during the year that he could use his airline miles and bump us all up to first class. We always fly first class. Yeah. And he would usually be back in the States and then my mom would take us. And so we were leaving Japan huh. and like immediately me and my youngest sister caught food poisoning oh, like 20 no. minutes into the flight. Oh, and it's like, and I think we went from, uh, Oh, that's we didn't terrible. stop in California. I think we went to Texas. Oh, so it was even it was like a longer. 17 hour flight and immediately threw up in the first 20 minutes like and then my youngest sister same thing. So we're like <laughs> three kids with food poisoning. Yeah, and we're in first class, you oh. know, like up in the uh they're all, you know, businessmen. Sure. And it's just my mom. Oh. And uh and I remember my youngest sister, she like she was like, oh, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. So my mom's like wrangling, you know, they got, and everyone back in the 90s, you know, like the bag the well, the men were like, men, they're like, let me help you out. You know, like right. actually go and like see in the stewardess were like, oh, you know, let me know if I can help you out and all this stuff. So they were actually taking care of us too, helping us. So my youngest sister goes to the bathroom and she's in there for like an hour. Cause she's like, I'm going to throw up. And they're like, okay, we'll just stay in there until you throw up. And they're in like 30 minutes. Nope. 40 minutes no so it's like about an hour and the stewardess is like okay well maybe you don't have to like we'll just take you out as soon as they open the door <laughs> right like outside literally outside the door and everyone you could tell like the guy like all the business guys are like there's nothing we can do to help the, right we can't be mad at this poor woman and right. her kids but at the same time it's so annoying. She just used up that one bathroom for an hour, and then she threw up in the whole first class flight. You know, these are expen. This is like these guys are paying twenty five hundred, you know, oh, yeah. three thousand dollars for Easy. a first yeah. class seat for a seventeen hour flight. Yeah, but. they're probably like, well, at least I have first class for this long flight. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's terrible, man. Yeah. You I, I, your poor mom, man. Yeah. She's a saint. She is saint. That's that's saintly. Anyways. Yeah. Well, we have a great episode mm. for this episode of the podcast. And um, so what I would say is sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, everybody, we have a great guest on the podcast for this episode. I'm super excited to talk about this. We have Tyler Gadfly. He has the GadflyReport.com, GadflyReport.com. That's his blog. And he has a new book coming out soon called The New Standard. It's about the Great Reset, Transhumanism Connections, and a proper practical response to these. Tyler, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I am excited to talk about this because... Uh, we haven't on this podcast. We haven't talked about transhumanism since 2018, but we did do an episode on the Great Reset, and I I have this fear that not enough people who understand the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, the UN, all that agenda, truly understand this transhumanism connection that ultimately they're pushing towards. So I'm super excited to hear about that. Why don't you open up and share with us a little bit about what what your book's going to be about and a little bit about yourself. Well, I'll start with myself. I've uh, I've really been working on this since I was a senior in high school, believe it or not. 
and I it was 2002. So maybe a little bit before my senior year, but 2002 is when uh, the human genome was mapped, mm-hmm. and I thought it was very strange, especially going to what I thought was a fairly conservative Catholic school, where people should know that there's this is a big moment, the human genome being mapped and the dangers that are ahead. I was surprised at how many people were not really caring Mm -hmm. and they just didn't really think about the implications. I know, I remember like you saw the time magazine articles uh, or various articles kind of in that vein that would talk about this, but like so many other things with our news cycles, just the next thing comes up and it's almost forgotten. Yeah. And I also, shortly after that happened, I read uh, the book Frankenstein for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) And there was just something. So it was easy for me to make the connection that there's bad people. There's bad people who like to get a hold of something they can do or they know they can do something. And they then believe that they have the right to it, to do it simply because they can. Mm, and yeah. that's it. And if they have the time, the money, the resources and the obsession to do it, they will. Mm. And then you read Frankenstein, you see Victor Frankenstein doing something that could so easily happen. Somebody <laughs> just obsessing, he has the gift of being able to reanimate something, to make something alive again, and he's willing to go to crazy extremes to do it, digging up corpses, just isolating himself from everybody else. He even starts studying the occult, things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. because he's just driven, this is what I'm going to do. There's hardly even a mention of why this needs to be done. And then as it's getting as he's putting the monster together, he realizes, wait a minute, in order to be able to ease the the project, I'll make it as big as possible so I can fit the organs in and I won't have to I won't have to worry about any precision and stuff like that. It's like this isn't gonna go well. And uh, <laughs> sure sure enough, the uh, the monster ends up murdering most of his family. Mm-hmm. So I I guess as a as a high school student I kind of scratched my head and said, well, am I, am I kind of just too uh, – am I just too young to really get the full grasp of this? Are there things I don't know and I'm not wise enough to realize I shouldn't be worried about the idea that people can now map the human genome? Uh, what will it be like when people can edit the human genome mm-hmm. and what kind of control will people feel like they get to have over what they're editing and what they're changing? And like I said, I felt like – Nobody was really uh, talking about it very much or a lot of people didn't really care. So I went to college. I went to a very conservative Catholic college in northern Virginia, and I really focused on moral theology quite a bit for that reason, just other things that interested me. And uh, I think over the years, I've just seen more and more and more validation until I started to realize about early 2010 11, I started to actually hear the word transhumanism, or I'd start to read stuff on the internet about transhumanism per se, and then uh, it's just something that's always been uh, on the back burner. I've thought about it, and then once uh, once COVID-19 happened, and with a lot of the other political changes, and then finding out about the World Economic Forum, the UN's ultimate agendas, which those parts I had never paid attention to, I've 
was able to see a lot more of a connection. And I thought, okay, I need to do more studying and put together a book about just some of the connections that I have made and then uh, just see where it goes from there. Yeah. So for, for our listeners that that aren't familiar with transhumanism, it's really a basic, a super basic uh, definition is that it would it's the merging of, uh, you know, fleshly humanity with technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that can be in various levels. So yeah. If you want to hear more, episode nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. going to say throw that up, but <laughs> that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, but um, yeah, and you know what's really interesting that you brought up the human genome uh, is uh, the director. Because um, I remember, you know, I, I was interested in the weird stuff, uh, you know, as, as a kid as well, and I remember the human the human genome project was headed by uh, Francis Collins, right, and. If I remember correctly, and he's like a self-professed Christian, and uh, I remember like he came out with this book. I remember reading it. I think it was called "The Language of God," hmm. when he was talking about like all the good stuff about like what's going to be able to come from it, and like how it um, his whole. He was basically using it as like an evangelistic book. If I, I remember correctly, it's been. Uh-huh you know, like a lot of time. And his whole point of view was um, like, we, we understand, you know, kind of put quotations around this, but like, we understand the language, you know, the language of God of how he created humanity. This is so cool. We can see the beauty and all the complex natures of how God put us together and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I kind of just shelved it for myself. And the reason that I, I thought it was interesting that you brought it up because just re- – uh, goodness, I don't even know what time uh, – time has been just like the last two or three years just seems like it's six months, you know what I mean? Um, but there was some time in the last couple of years with the COVID-19 that I remember specifically Francis Collins came out and actually was an advocate of the vaccine he was an mm-hmm. advocate of, you know, social distancing, of masking, of everything. And I remember, like, hearing him say all this stuff, huge, just pushing the vaccine. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird. Because I remember reading this book, you know, again, I, it came out early 2000s. And I'm like, wh- why is a Christian, like, that is, you know, wasn't, charge of mapping the human genome like the head of the human genome project why is he pushing this vaccine that Mm. is altering the dna of us like doesn't it goes completely contrary to what i believe about him but i just thought it was an interesting connection that you brought that up and uh that was really weird when i remember reading seeing him come out about that just in the last couple of years you there Oh, yeah, I am. I, Sorry. I know I've heard of, I know who you're talking about, and uh, I didn't know that he was a, uh, a big advocate of the vaccine. The, the COVID vaccine is one of the things that has been most terrifying for me over the last two years. Yeah. And when, th- I'm just not a very trusting person by nature. <laughs> right. And I, I always had like a lot of us, I think that you, you have that crazy uncle type person in your life before COVID who talks about 
camps with the the fencing facing in like a prison. FEMA camps. camps. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> and this is the New World Order agenda and the plan. And just, you know what sustainable development really is when they talk about the UN? And you just go, yeah, right, <laughs> Uncle Robert. Yes, okay. And you just move on. And then there is something about – well, the fact that the whole world shut down simultaneously, that right there was like, oh, man, this is this is not good. Yeah. The, uh, but I very early I thought, I think this is going to go towards a forced vaccination. And I didn't even mm-hmm. know why exactly. But I thought, I think there's going to be a forced vaccination that comes along with this. And then the more I would study and find out about those things Uncle Robert used to talk about – I the connections became pretty, pretty clear, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. One of the things a lot of people have asked throughout this whole pandemic, and I like to kind of start with the most, quote, benign or not as horrifying conclusions or speculation as to why people might be pushing a vaccine or why there might be any sort of mandate and then work my way out from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's kind of a safe and an intellectually honest and good way to go about things. A lot of people have asked throughout all this process of the COVID-19 vaccine, what, what is the agenda? Why are they doing this? And I know some people, they just go straight to, they want to kill us. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. But before I get to that, uh, think about operation warp speed Mm -hmm. when it was uh, initiated in 2020, 300 million doses of the vaccine were approved. That's how many were ordered. And I did the math and I thought about this and I was like, 300 million. Let's see, the population in the United States is 330 million. And I I don't know personally the CEO of Pfizer or Moderna, but I'm having a hard time believing that after they broker a deal with the Fed to be able to have a contract where they provide this and they still get paid and I don't know, the taxpayer doesn't, it's all free, whatever. I don't think that when people go, I don't really want this vaccine, I don't think there's going to be like this shoulder shrug moment where people go, okay, well, I guess we just dump all these doses down the sink. Never mind. Well, they do expire. (laughs) Yeah, right. I guess only 35% of people want this, kind of like the same number who want the flu shot every year. Mm -hmm. What do you do? We'll move on to the next thing. And then when I... I started to find out more about what uh, what's in the vaccine and yeah, that it is gene altering. Then uh, it started to become pretty horrifying. And I will, uh, I'll tell you the, the warning signs that, and I've only recently read about this. I'd love to talk to you, you know, maybe now or later about a, one of the big players in the transhuman transhumanist movement, Ray Kurzweil. Yes. In a book, The Singularity is Near, Mm -hmm. that he wrote in 2005, he was talking about mRNA vaccines already. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how he was surprised that when he would talk about the mRNA vaccines in different company of people who he thought should know better, they would dismiss the idea like, oh, we're we're so far away from that. We don't Mm -hmm. have to worry. We'll worry about the ethical concerns attached when when that comes along. That'll be like 50 years. And Mm -hmm. Kurzweil is known for Mr. Hyper-Obsessed with Moore's Law. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, 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 there's exponential growth in all these developments of technology. It's going to happen a lot faster than you think. And he was talking about in his book – um, he was talking about just 
in the RNA attached to say, oh, I don't know, let's say somebody wanted to block their fat storing gene. Well, this is great. We can alter the human genome. We can we can change it so that way you don't have to store the fat. We've evolved past that. Anyway, everybody lives sedentary lifestyles where they don't have to get as much insulation for the winter as maybe they used to. So this is wonderful. Everybody wants to be thin? We'll go ahead and just make them thin. You're welcome. But then he also talks later on in the book when he goes on to say, all right, the developments that are coming up that you need to really watch for – to be honest with you, I think he's also hinting at a lot of Silicon Valley investors that yeah. you need to invest in, wink, wink, are genetics, nanotechnology, and AI. So GNR, ro- robotics, AI, you can interchange them. And the uh, when he talks about nanotechnology and a nanobot uh, – and I know this sounds crazy. This is, again, where people think it's sci-fi. Right. But he talks about a nanobot immune system sometime in the future where you shrink down these robots to the point where they are like uh, they're they're nano. Anything nano is under 100 microns um, in uh, in diameter and size. And we're going to we need to prepare for an existential crisis, he says, that somebody could release nanobots and we should have like we need to aggressively pursue a nanobot immune system to be able to prepare for that. It's like, what is this? Mm-hmm. But he's dead serious. And he and others, and again, this is in 2005, yeah. they've been convincing a lot of people we need to aggressively prepare for possible existential threats, whether they be nanobot threats sometime further down the future or bio threats mm-hmm. like weaponized viruses. We need to prepare for them by having these things ready. And if you were reading this and paying attention in 2005, Probably if you I mean, you have to be really smart and really on the ball to have gotten it then, but you probably could have made that connection right away. If you read this book, this is going to be forced on people. Nobody really wants to do any of the stuff Ray Kurzweil proposes because he goes in about like, you know, we're all going to reject our human bodies someday and we're going to love right. it. Kind of like Klaus Schwab. You'll own nothing and be happy. You want them. You'll eat the mealworms and you'll be happy. You'll so, live in the box. Right. You'll live in a box. Mind file will be uploaded, et cetera. Nobody really wants that. The only way this can be advanced, and Ray Kurzweil and other people can be right on their projections, is if they force things. Mm-hmm. So the um, anyway, it, it didn't take long for me during the initial phase of COVID to realize, man, things are going to get aggressive and they're going to get very authoritarian. And it's going to feel like a dystopia very fast. And sure enough, it, it has. And the vaccine has been a big, big part of it. Yeah. And I was going to say, uh, not to stop where you're going with it, but a very interesting thing. If any people might have heard of Ray Kurzweil, uh, again, you know, I remember reading The Singularity is Near and the, uh, not when it came out, but a little co- couple years after that, because, you know, reading the weird kind of futurist stuff. But he was like a big name at Google. So um, and wasn't he like the, he had some really weird uh, title at Google? Um, he is currently the chief engineer at Google. Right. He's a very influential man. Hmm. Right. And I, I was going to say that's another thing that uh, people you start to see how uh, and again, not to go onto this tangent, I, maybe I'll just tease this a little bit of what we were talking about later. But like. You know, we're talking about the this the government doing this, but also you have this huge proponent of all these things that are, you know, back then he's basically laying the groundwork um, for what we see happening by the government, 
but he's working for Google. So he's got hmm. this, and you were talking about the Silicon Valley, you know, investors, you know, winking at him because he's been, you know, he he's a, a he's been a bigwig with them, you know, back back in two thousand five. Like that, people took him seriously when he came out with his book. He was always considered a serious thinker. Um, yeah. Like you said, working huge bigwig up at Google still is. Um, but I just wanted, if anyone isn't familiar, I just kind of want to give that little tie-in that, uh, you know, here's this guy that's talking about it. And again, one of the top guys at Google. Um, but yeah, sorry. Uh, continue on. We were talking about getting into the vaccine with the the nanotechnology and everything like that. No, and that's, uh, I appreciate that you brought that up. Where I find things frustrating is oftentimes I'll talk to normies and less normies. It doesn't matter. But I will – I'll talk to people and I'm letting them know like, yeah, there's real horrifying things in this book and in other books. And there's this guy at the World Economic Forum who is – this was just recent, but who's talking about the dictators of the past and the tyrants have never been able to to hack humanity itself or to hack human nature and – to force things on people, but we now we can hack human biology, we can hack right. human nature, and etc. And and people are they just hear it, they hear all the bad stuff, and they just shrug their shoulders, or they just go, "This is really funny." They'll go, "Eh, he won't be successful, so I'm not worried about it." Right. All right, well, let's go back to our Frankenstein analogy, Victor Frankenstein. Let's let's pretend instead of building this monster he thought like that he was actually building this wonderful like greek god and he made him really handsome and the monster still is uh, is just this monster <laughs> destructive monster yeah it, it his failure still results in a lot of collateral damage and a lot of catastrophe for yeah. a lot of people yeah the um one of the in my last gadfly report article I bring up uh, – it's kind of talking about – I went on a rant. I lo- it's a good place for me to rant at my blog. I think a lot of people feel <laughs> way about, about their own blogs. But I uh, I basically propose that whether this is – some people will debate, is this really communism? Are we, really, are, we living, are we living in communism right now? And my point was, well, we've got a, a globalist, elitist overworld who have grabbed a lot of power. Your elections aren't really that free anymore. You've got secretaries of state who just go out there and lie with impunity and just seem like low IQ people. Uh, You've got a puppet president who loves his ice cream cones and uses cheat sheets there. And it's like the whole thing just looks like a scammy farce. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line, and we're being told like, yep, food shortages are coming. You just be ready. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, kind of like in the, the time of the Soviets, they were given a chicken and you were given your handle of vodka at the, the bread line. You, uh, I mean, I, I travel around out here in Arizona and the, I see over and over and over again, um, more billboards for accident lawyers and weed all the time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if it's not communism, then call it what you want. But if you're talking about a, a one world society that we're heading towards where all of our stuff is going to quote be provided for us and we're all subverted and we're living this junk food culture and lifestyle then then that's here the um the thing i find interesting about transhumanism and your definition like your simple definition that you gave earlier for transhumanism being like this 
melding between man and machine or a technology that is adequate one of the things that i'm writing about in this book is i think it's important to understand the 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 philosophy behind transhumanism that runs a little deeper than just we're going to have Neuralinks in us and now you can search the internet real fast and appear like your computer who wore tennis shoes all the time. Well, thanks, Elon Musk. You made me smart. So <laughs> Ray Kurzweil's book, The Singularity is Near, literally on the cover says when, tra- when humans transcend biology. And I've always thought of transhumanism as we're not morphing into Something else, we're tr- these, these guys think that we are transcending humanity. Yeah. We're opening the door and we're opening the gate for you guys to transcend humanity. You're welcome. You th- you know, it's on us. We'll go ahead and help you have your mind file uploaded and you can now you can live forever. You uh, you guys have like peasants and like dumbasses. You, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys have forever thought that this god, this pie in the sky king who rewards you for all your good deeds, he'll let you transcend after you die. Well, no, it doesn't really work that way. All the smart people like us and the academics know better. But we will allow you to go ahead and have your mind file uh, uploaded after you die. It'll be like to the split second. So it'll be like seamless. And then you can kind of live in a cloud or you can live in a cyborg body, whatever. And... Um, Anyway, they believe that this is we're transcending humanity. I think there's been a lot of warm up uh, philosophically for this. Yes. I mean, you could go back hundreds of years if you want back to uh, two philosophers I like to go to or hit on quite a bit is John Paul Sartre and mm-hmm. uh, Nietzsche. The the idea of, as Sartre would say, um, uh existence precedes essence mm-hmm. or um or is it essence precedes existence but anyway sartre makes the argument of you can you can determine what you want to be mm-hmm. like who you are as a human there's no set human nature in in place that you have to respect in order to do that which is moral and fulfilling which will grant you happiness you get to figure that out and i think in our egalitarian uh, society that we live in one where we we love opportunities and everybody gets their own chance to be able to do something and define who they are. Um, it, we're, we're pretty easy people to kind of pull this one on mm-hmm. uh, this idea that you, know, you, you can, if you want to be someone who doesn't have to store fat, you can be that. If you want to be a cyborg, you can be that. Yeah. Uh, we're transcending this transgender. I've never looked at the whole transgender angle as, this is transforming or I'm transitioning over to a different gender. When you have 55 total genders that Facebook allows you to type in and they'll go ahead and allow you to press enter. And Oh yeah, that one's on there. Oh, there you go. Oh, two spirit. Yes. Okay. Trans fluid. Yes. Okay. Yep. That's a real thing. That's we're transcending gender. We've risen above that somehow Uh, in order to do that because these people aren't really God. They, they're not really the authors of what they're trying to radically change, which Kurzweil says that we're going to approach an age, the singularity where human nature is so radically defined. It'll be nothing like what it was anymore because of, as you said, this meshing with technology in order to change that nature. You're going to, you're going to make Frankenstein monsters. Yeah. You're, you're going to damage people. You're going to ruin a lot of things. And they, the narcissism is so 
beyond it's so out there and they're so far gone uh, and and a lot of people i think they've lived a um they've they've lived through this very subversive culture where we're kind of prepped for this for a long time to where yeah. i don't I, I i don't know it's uh it, it's hard to pull the reins back on something like this you know when you talk about just the, they've been laying the groundwork for a while and you talk about it philosophically I think just in from real practical terms, I think that like the metaverse is just a great example. People are just eager to get into this metaverse. You can create your own world and you literally can leave behind reality and create a new reality for yourself. Sure. And then you also have just this hive mind mentality. And I think the the younger generations are less prone to think for themselves and to be adventurous. They're more prone to submit to authority and to um, really just allow th- whatever whatever someone is telling them the reality is, they just accept it. And so you have this rise of atheism, you have this rise of agnosticism, especially in our younger generations, because they've been suppressing the truth. And then what happens is, is they buy the lie, and now they can shape their minds, and they can accept this hive mind, they can accept this new reality. And when it comes time to take the the next shot, which will eventually lead to the next shot, which will eventually lead to the transcendent, you know, aspects. They won't, they won't resist because they're, they've already been prepping them for this. And they've been making the world so bad that like you would want it. Right. Like it's a hope for you. Yeah. Cause you don't have hope. You'll never be able to buy a house. You'll never be able to have, you can't find the right kind of person for a spouse. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, tender tells us that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like they're going to sell them all of these false hopes. Yeah. And, and they all come from some psychotic mind that's been just plotting for years. Well, you know, I, I was just going to say it's interesting. You know, we kind of say uh, fairly often that uh, Satan can't create, right? He can only uh, distort or change things that have already been created, you know, like the. Or copy, yeah. He can okay. copy for and change. And, the negative he can't create this idea that he can't create so it's when you were saying that these these ideas of everything that they're uh turning what you were just saying about they're promising all these things and you're like well it, it's coming from a demented mind my, my my first instinct went to all the things that we're talking about that they're promising are all things that have that are biblical like you know that's the old things that the right. god promises is that you know you'll have a body that um you know, when we're in heaven, when we have are given our spiritual body, you know, we won't age. We the, won't the new body. Yeah, the new body. We won't age. We won't, uh, you know, like get hurt. We won't die. We won't have diseases. Um, we'll be able to live forever. You know, perfect, it'll be yeah. perfect harmony because we'll be in the presence of God, but we'll always be, but also we'll be surrounded by all of everyone. All the believers will only be around believers. There won't be any sin you know there won't be the capacity or the there's a that's a whole other thing um but there there won't be any sin um there won't be the sin nature is destroyed for sure right um but that's the all the stuff that uh is promised you know now we were talking you know before the before the podcast that before we uh tyler hopped on about how these uh things that are all promised now uh and that's i think like what you're talking about uh tyler with the the Communism, communism as an ideology cannot be divorced from atheism, right. nihilistic atheism. Right. 
And that's a big reason of why they're suppressing all this, uh, the truth about God, the, about, you know, taking, and this is going to sound super, you know, boomer con of me to say like, you know, they're taking, you know, God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, they're taking God out of the classroom. They are. Um, but they're also, you know, Romans talks about, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Turner, um, that, you know, we traded the the lies, uh, the truth for the lies and all this stuff. And the only way that you can truly get an entire generation of people on board is to give them this hope, but say it's not God, it's without God. You don't need God. You don't have to be accountable because the whole, uh, the, 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 these things that they're promising, like, um, we can have them now, you know, you can have, uh, you know, we're in this society where everything is given to us now. So like, you know, why would I, if, why would I, you know, it's so hard to find a spouse, right? And this, you know, this God tells me I can't have sex before I get married, but I can go watch porn. I can go have this hookup culture. If, right. well, if I need, if you have porn, your, your, your needs are getting satisfied. You don't even really want to go procreate with an actual person, which is eventually where they're going. Their needs are satisfied with through this other thing. I think that's just a good way of this real substitution. So you start substituting these things here in the now and bring this, uh, you know, the God-sized kind of hole in the uh, knowing that there is like this transcendent truth Um through God that God talks about in the Bible and is revealed to us, it's, this is all Satan just, you know, making it here and now. Yeah. It's, but I I was going to say everything that we're, we're talking about that is promised is all stuff that is biblically, but biblically promised to us, you know, in heaven. It's, I can't not see that connection, which is just, yeah. You know, sorry for my little rant there, but. If I could add to the when I was in Russia in 1994, uh, we visited a couple of schools. I was there for some missionary work right after it opened up from communism, and we went into probably a dozen high schools while we were there. And in every single school we went to, there was a, a painting of Karl Marx and mm. and Dar- Darwin. Huh. And so <laughs> that tells you what their ideologies were pressing, you know, in their schools, you know. And uh, there would always be a statue of, you know, um, some great communist leader, you know, in front of the school, which they would name him after or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I think, if when I think about our our culture currently, I feel like that we're primed for this. And I think that they're going to move on it quicker because I think the younger generation is gen z is not quite as infatuated with these type of thoughts if you look at the polling on the the younger generation they're they're actually rejecting a lot of these uh these cultural mindsets and these views and they're actually embracing some of the more trad you know um based mindsets you know trying to get back to they don't even realize that they're rebelling you know from it but they're rebelling back into you know, yeah. more conservative right. mindsets. So I think they're going to move quicker in this generation. And they have a lot of people to deal with. The millennial generation is enormous. There's 80 million people in the millennial generation. So that's that's enough to make things change. That's just in America, you know. Mm-hmm. That's enough to make things change, you know. Right. You know, and the 
my experience with talking to Generation Z, there there are a lot there are a lot of youth out there who you're right they have rejected this, but they feel like there is no hope in what the the traditional option is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, years ago I played semi-professional football in my quote free time. And there was a, (laughs) there was a young man, he was 23 at the time and he had, he wanted nothing to do with Tinder and he would complain about how hard it is to find a, girl who had the same sorts of aspirations that he did about settling down, getting married and, and finding somebody who's not psycho or immersed in the culture, et cetera. It's of course, I encouraged, him, I encouraged him to start going to church. That was my immediately. I'm Amen. like, you need to go to church. You need Amen. to hang out like a Bible study or That's something. Right. That's Amen. right. That's right. So, you know, it's, um, but for a lot of them, the, the kids, they've been so beat down. They've witnessed the cancel culture for so long that they think, yeah, I reject this, but it doesn't matter because the bad guys win all the time. Mm -hmm. And this is just how things are going. Now, some of them I think are so despairing and also they don't know better to where it's like, they'll say stuff that they don't even realize like how shameful that should be or how embarrassing it should be for them. For example, I heard a, a young lady recently, she was being challenged by uh, some difficult schoolwork. And she goes, man, can I just work at Wendy's? She just said that. Like, can I just work at Wendy's? <laughs> and I said to someone else who's a generation ahead of me, I said, I think a big breakdown for a lot of Generation Z is that they don't even know that that'd be undignifying work. Or at least that's beneath the dignity that this person is capable of. Let's just put it that way. She right. can do better because a lot of them have not learned the dignity of the human person in mm. the way in which previous generations were able to. This generation has been so deliberately subverted, but it's actually not just this generation. It's been going on for some time. The uh, the communist angle one of the things I talked about in my recent Gadfly article, I always love to go back to Yuri Bezmenov. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. sure you guys are familiar where he had in the 80s and the 90s, he was trying to warn people like, oh, you're used to just getting fed junk food. You guys don't even know what's coming. They're all getting subverted. They're being turned into non-thinkers. Uh, they, they can't recognize communism. Eventually, they're just going to be the bus driver, the doctor, the – whatever and you just have to deal with them and it'll be over by then he talks about how much tremendous success has been had the the communists have always had this ideology that you can change human nature that that's that's how you cut out a lot of the crap that gets in the way of being able to force a bunch of stuff that people are going to reject by their nature we work for our within our own self-interest. Not that we're selfish, but when I put in a hard days of work, I'm not okay with Uncle Sam taking much of my money. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's it. So, how do you convince somebody if there's no real intellectual argument that would convince somebody, according to his reason, his God-given reason? Then, well, let's go ahead and change human nature so that way he's not so reasonable about this. Okay, it, the Soviets tried that and it didn't go well. Uh, my goodness, Vladimir Putin. I had comments about that in a speech he gave last year against the technocrats and stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, this has been tried before. I mean, 
obviously I, I don't I don't pr- purport or pretend to know the mind of Vladimir Putin in earnest. I don't. But <laughs> the points he was making in this particular speech I, I listened to recently was that the Soviets already tried to do this. The communists have always tried to change human nature. The Soviet man, these are the goods you should be aspiring towards. One of the big anecdotes, because when I finished uh, Kurzweil's The Singularity is Near, I've done some other reading. FM 2030 is like one of the the legendary transhumanists. He's, he's an interesting character. Wrote a book back in 1989, Are You Transhuman? Hmm. Uh, there's Nick Bostrom is another fairly scary transhumanist when you realize the sort of influence that he has. Um, accusing us of bioism who don't want to, you know, we don't <laughs> want to actually become cyborgs. Bioism. Bias, bioism. Uh, you are prejudiced against things that are not bio, that are not, uh, uh, technology. Biased. Yeah. Yeah. I guess technology and such. So, but the, the quest for changing human nature, it, it was all there. Kurzweil says it right away, and Bostrom alludes to it, FM 2030 in his book, Are You Transhuman? They're all alluding to this, that we're going to get past these uh, these confines, the sucky parts about humanity and the human condition now, that you have to work hard for your, your bread, and that uh, war happens, etc. And, and we're just going to take care of that if everybody just gives up their human nature we'll go ahead and fix all of that. For me, when I finished The Singularity is Near, I needed, I just, it was devastating. Like when you read all this stuff and you see like, oh my gosh, a lot of this is being successful. In some ways it feels like human nature is already being changed. Like so many people have been subverted. They're accepting these false goods as if they are goods. You yeah. alluded to uh, why, why have a wife? Why have kids? I'll just go to porn. Well, of course it doesn't actually satisfy these needs. It, it, right turns us into worse versions of ourselves and and you start to see like people in society they're they're degenerating a lot of times when i interact with somebody in society and i see an immense amount of anger or rage i kind of instantly kind of wonder in my head like what is this guy's what vices does this person deal with mm-hmm. uh but anyway the the book that's been my go-to has been uh or kind of what's the What's the remedy or what is the real version or the real take on human nature and humanity has been the Summa Theologiae by Thomas Aquinas. And I've been uh, spending a lot of time in the evening. It's just a refresher. It feels great to actually read through the Prima Pars, uh, in particular questions 75 through 90, where it's all about what is human nature? What does it mean to be the image uh, of God, the image and likeness of God? Uh, What does it mean to actually have intellect and understanding, the the crap that these AI machines don't have? Mm -hmm. Watson beat my rear end at Jeopardy, but when he hears Eiffel Tower, the Louvre, and uh, uh, <laughs> crepes. He doesn't actually understand where France is and what France is, mm-hmm. but he can answer France faster than I can. Well, that's neat. Um, but it's just so refreshing to actually see what what human nature really is, and to just feel the gravitas of that, and, and get that sort of refreshment from a, a clear thinker who wrote 800 years ago and actually got it right. What I find tragic and and scary is. The uh, the idea when you actually understand what human nature really is and how we are ordered towards what God wrote into our human nature. That's what it means to be moral, to do what's moral, to pursue happiness as a human being, per se. When you realize what some of these 
bad guys, the bad actors have in mind, you realize that they're either going to be capable of actually fundamentally changing human nature. And if that's the case, then there goes morality. There goes the, the sense of morality right now is so bad. Imagine what it's going to be like 20 years into the metaverse and, yeah. and AI take over even more so and, and all this other stuff that's going to come down the pike. Or they'll change, quote, human nature so fu- fundamentally that like humanity won't actually be around anymore. Yeah. Which if Kurzweil had his way and it was just like we have reproductions of our thoughts via AI and those are now just in computers with a bunch of digital switches, then he doesn't know better. But I know better and you know better and others know better. Humanity will be gone. Mm-hmm. There will be a bunch of of literally uh, unsold fake things just switching back and forth beep, boop, 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 beep, beep, all throughout planet earth or he thinks all throughout the universe infusing artificial intelligence all over the place and now a new godhead will emerge when the universe is awakened from its unconsciousness blah 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 so if if things continue to progress as they are i think it's reasonable to have a very deep concern and to want to yeah. Do something to resist it and to change and try to wake people up and and uh, act against it. But the idea of either human nature could be fundamentally changed or human nature and humanity could be gone uh, someday. Those those are on the table. Anyway, So before we jump into like what are practical ways to come against it, I do want to add I I remember probably two years ago, someone sent me the they discovered the God gene. You know, we were talking right. about mapping the, and their goal was to eliminate the God gene so that that aspect of morality um, would be replaced with whatever they wanted to put in there. Mm. And um, I, there's no doubt in my mind that was like scientific gold for them because if they can eliminate God from the consciousness of humanity, um, that's a big win for them in, in their mind. Obviously, the spirit is larger and more complex and more powerful than the conscience, and uh, but it does use the conscience to speak to man. You know, we know that biblically because it talks about your conscience is seared when you have a hardened heart and you reject God's truth, and your conscience is actually um, pinged, if you will, like or plucked when conviction comes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's God speaks to us through our conscience many times in many ways, but the elimination of something like the God gene just, it blew me away when I saw it. it. It actually made my hair stand up because like you say, so many people think of that and they go, oh yeah, big deal. So what? It's not going to get me. It's not going to affect me. Uh, no, it, <laughs> it absolutely is going to get right. you. Absolutely is going to affect you. And the other thing too is we were just in reference, I've been listening to you and then thinking as you're listening, as as I was listening, the other thing too is that the the pre- preparation for people through culture with the narcissist uh, seedlings that are going in, like they just seed mm. narcissism. Ten years ago, we all had iPhones with cameras on them, but nobody was videoing themselves all the time. Right. You know, now there's this like literally TikTok is just people putting themselves on display. Mm-hmm. Like 100% all day long. And it's totally coming from what, what Yuri Beznovov, Bez, Bezvanov, Bezvanov, yeah, what he was saying, they're feeding us junk food. We have no idea what, you know, our youth have no idea what real truth and real character and real, you know, hardship is or mm-hmm. or value or fruit for that matter. You know, what the fruit of good hard work and effort is. Um, 
they're feeding us that. And TikTok is just like one of those things. Like mm-hmm. I obviously I know about it. I have a TikTok account. I've been on it like twice maybe, but only because I had to get on it to someone sent me something and they wanted me to see it. Oh, yeah. So it was one of those type of things, but I never use it. I never go back. And, and, and now that's bleeding into all the other social media. Mm-hmm. But how, when you think about like the AI that's operating through the, through the social media stuff, and it's literally creating and shaping our, you know, very pliable minds. Mm. How is that connected with the transhumanism and all of that? Well, if it's not changing human nature, then it's certainly changing our human societal structure. Mm. And that, if it's not done deliberately by great masterminds, it's at least observed by people who know how to hedge or short mm. that, that, that those sorts of societal changes are happening. Mm. One of the things that I find interesting is, and I'll kind of go back to this whole where people kind of point the finger as soon as this sort of stuff happens or they, they go to extremes like they're trying to kill us. That's it. They're just trying to kill, you know, I, okay, let's, let's be a little more academic and study and get into this. One of the quickest boogeymen that a lot of people like to bring up and rightly or wrongly for a lot of problems nowadays, you hear like Klaus Schwab. Uh, I, I heard, I heard recently that Klaus Schwab's net value is actually fairly low his net worth is, hmm. which makes me think that there's a lot more people within this network of the World Economic Forum who are all figuring out ways to slightly influence or maybe majorly influence a direction society is already going and this globalization that has already been fruiting for so long so that they come out winners. Hmm. There's no way you can stop it. So you just let it happen even Mm -hmm. more so if you know where to put your money and then kind of blow on the situation a little bit with some influence then you can really cash out george soros is a guy who gets brought up quite a bit one of the things that i find interesting about soros and i have the the book alchemy of finance right behind me is when you study soros you find out more the mindset of a lot of a lot of dark people who have a lot of money and influence and power Mm -hmm. and he'll give you a picture of what's going on in the head of somebody at the Bilderbergers or somebody at Davos. Mm -hmm. And it is essentially this. If society is going in this direction, and I know that by putting my money on that direction where it's going, and then I'm able to influence it that way, I can turn a crappy situation or something where there's great destruction that's going to happen or great catastrophe, I can turn that into gold. Yeah, this financial alchemy. I can turn lead into gold. Mm. So, is there value in fomenting a color war? Yeah, there is. Was there value in? That's my dog talking outside. Anyway, <laughs> was there value? Sorry about that. Was there value in influencing Black Lives Matter and how that went down in 2020? Yeah, mm-hmm. there are people who cashed in on that situation. Absolutely, uh, and the sorts of societal direction that we are going with AI, if your goal, or at least you see a way in which you can gain more power, money, et cetera, if you were somebody who's got very deep connections, you are a, a world influencing sort of character and figure, and you already know the world's headed off the cliff. So you just as well, as Bismarck would say, you'd rather be on the conquering side than the conquered side if a conquest is gonna happen. Right, yeah. Then, 
why wouldn't you go ahead, especially if you – I mean you've probably lived in a fairly empty-ish life. Bill Gates, for example, his parents were on the board of Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Like what yeah. conversations, what sort of attitudes about humanity do you think that kid grew up with? Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time being set in all these wonderful situations where success is going to happen for him. He's going to make billions of dollars someday. Uh, all he's got to do is use some of his genius and a little bit of theft of other good ideas and mm-hmm. – always know how to work angles with his PR, even if he can't hold an interview and sound like a normal person for five <laughs> seconds, doesn't matter. Uh, oh, you're such a, you're so good. You're going to go out there and treat all the Africans like they're human guinea pigs. And, oh, but it's really philanthropy. Cause at the end, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, well, it's not quite the way people think of them now, but anyway, the, uh, the opportunities to go ahead and take advantage of where this would all be going, they've all been there. A book that I would highly recommend – well, actually, I, I would recommend if you feel like you can handle it because it's scary hmm. is uh, by Bruce Mao. It's called Massive Change. That should give you a good idea of what goes on in the heads of your Bilderbergers, your Davos types people, a lot of the, uh, the people at BlackRock, for example. What goes on in their heads? Uh, Massive Change by Bruce Mao. It is uh, it's it reads a lot like financial alchemy, but it's uh, contributions a lot of different social engineers. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Sachs is one of them. He's one of my favorite bad guys. Uh, Jeffrey (laughs) Sachs is one of them who's like, yeah, we're going to eliminate poverty. Oh, yeah, you will. Uh, The same kinds of people who would support a UBI, a universal basic income, Mm -hmm. they're writing all these articles in there about the changes in medicine and science and the pursuit of of global urbanization, you know, because for the for the people. Right. Mm -hmm. The more you read it, you're like, oh, man, which is another book in the early 2000s that was written or maybe late 2000s was uh, massive change. But when you read it, you think, oh, man, now that I see where communist China is right now, that's what these guys were talking about at that point. Hmm. That's what they were talking about, engineering that sort of a society. And they go on about like, oh, the tremendous fruits and the wealth that's going to be made. Oh, trust me, it's going to come. Well, but it's not going to be for everybody like they tell you. Uh, you, you will have a tiny home. It's going to be four, 400 square feet or you're going to live in this uh, loft apartment uh, for 400 square feet and you're going to have a smartphone. I mean we might eventually get to a point where you have to constantly check in on your smartphone and the government needs to know where you are, mm-hmm. uh, just like Australia or one of these other places. Uh but social credit scores, et cetera, at the end of the day, you can work at Wendy's and just still make it and we'll take care of you in your little box that you call home. Uh, you'll you'll get all the weed you want. Uh, Metaverse, you can go ahead and just put on those VR goggles, sit back. And even Kurzweil talks about this in his book. He talks about VR eventually getting to the point where you can have sex with whatever celeb you want that evening. Mm-hmm. So it, the, the idea of... We'll take man. We'll go ahead and extract what we actually value. Ray Kurzweil actually loves intelligence, and he really actually understands quite well how how wonderful a creation mankind is. He actually gets that. But then what he wants to do with that and how he wants to extract that and how he personally wants to live forever, et cetera, and the way he proposes it all and his plan for it and 
the technologies he wants developed, I think because he believes he'll be able to live forever based upon them. Right. Uh, that's all there. You read Massive Change and you see a great reset plan that was already being well worked on by people um, that, that'll go on. But when man goes ahead and says, yeah, whatever, my human nature is not so much worth being a free man who has to work really hard and be able to fend off all sorts of yeah. potential uh, disasters or, or threats to my national sovereignty, my personal sovereignty, etc. But instead he's like, dude, free, free fast food and porn and weed and my 400 square foot house but it doesn't matter anyway because i spend most of my time binge watching television on netflix anyway mm -hmm. and they'll let me know when it's safe to come outside with my masks on etc sign me up and to that i say you live no better than my dog that was outside barking just a minute ago <laughs> you live no better than him correct you take correct. care of all yeah. his needs he doesn't have to work a day in his life. He never will have to work a day in his life. Right. He is well taken care of as far as dogs. And for a dog, he lives a fantastic life. Right. But I'm not I'm not trading places. I'd rather be the one working my rear end off on my farm uh, and at the same time enjoying real authentic freedom, which is uh, it's not a sunny day in the park. It's a, a life well lived. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you talk about like uh, basically this whole – concept you you mentioned blackrock and vanguard as the next other company between the two of them this is this is how the slow the slow pace by pace takeover of these things occur blackrock alone is the largest uh they control the most assets at, at nine trillion dollars uh, worldwide yes. and then you have vanguard which is located here in the united states for 7.5 trillion dollars of what they control in funds. And so what they do is they're buying all of these companies up. And then when you have one conglomerate that owns all of these things, then now they have control. And so now once you have control, you can decide who gets what and how it's distributed. And it's this corporate communism, I think is probably a good way to, although when you, then you mix in the tech side of it, now you've got corporate tech corporate communist technocracy. <laughs> I don't know. We need wow. to create a term for it. I don't know what it could be, but, but they are together because the, the tech is just as bad. You know, it's doing things on the side that are unconscious where, you know, unconscious that we don't even realize sometimes, whereas the corporate side of it is doing the things that we, we use daily. They're pushing the EV, you know, the electric vehicles. They're pushing, you know, they're, they're, buying up all of the, the, the homes, you know, BlackRock is like the largest yes. purchaser of homes in the United States right now. They're one of the reasons the the housing market is driving, being driven up so high in yes. the country. And we're already at a shortage, by the way. I don't know if people know this, but we're, we're 20 million houses short of what the need is right now. Mm -hmm. So there's a natural inflation on the cost because it's a, it's a seller's market. But then, Man, the, what do you do with all those people? No, right. sorry. Yeah. Well, sorry. they put them in rental properties, right? That's what they own them, and then they rent the houses out because they could never afford to buy it. But they could afford right. to they could afford to pay a, you know a moderate rent payment mm -hmm. and, and live in debt forever. Yes, mm -hmm. that is it. It's and and all of these things are uh, trying man trying to take the place of God. Yes, it's it's clearly that's what's happening. And there's a there's a cabal of people. And this is the question I was going to ask you is do you believe that there is a, a handful, 20, 30, 50, 100 people 
that are really in control of a lot of this, like working together and just like a like a web of control over the globe? I don't know if it I don't know if the number would be that small. One of the one of the books I found pretty impressive that I read recently was Neil Ferguson's Square in the Tower. Yes. Yep. Fantastic read. And again, I just I don't like to go down the immediate path. Sometimes I'll talk with friends and we're speculating about what's going on. And you'll have that guy who jumps to because Satan way too fast. That's me. That's me. (laughs) Probably me, too. Yeah, I know Satan's in control, but I want to know who his who his generals are, who yeah. his corporals are. I want to know who the captains are. I that is beneficial to me. The spiritual side of things, yes, we've always got to be. As Saint Paul says, "Be awake, be sober." But in addition to that, I am a human being, and I'm a body soul composite, as Saint Thomas says. I've got a life. I've got to live here. Yeah. I've got a family. I've got to provide and take care of, etc. I've got to take care of the natural needs of myself and my family as well. And there are bad actors who are physically here on this planet. Now, one of the things that Ferguson does is right away in the book, he's like, listen, let's not go down this path of um, the secret societies control everything. And do they? I don't know, maybe. But I will say this, the idea of networking and networking well with really highly influential people and plugging yourself into a system that's already there paying your dues and then being able to reap some of those rewards yeah people at blackrock people these other places they get paid too and there's yeah that you know and i'll scratch my scratch your back you scratch my back etc or uh we need to make sure that this politician gets elected to serve the following corporate interests and you know uh, uh what do you call them? PACs, et cetera. The special interest groups like this is all we've known about this or anybody who's been paying attention politically forever should, should have always been aware of there's very influential elite and rich people who have more to say as to the direction society, the world are going to go than others. And I, think right now or one of the things i observed during covid 19 was were there some people who already knew about it and knew it was going to happen and they were ready to get in there and hedge or short the situation absolutely mm-hmm. look at what bill gates did a month before the covid 19 vaccine was released he hosted event 201 which was a war game simulation for a pandemic mm-hmm. an international pandemic and no surprise he's the guy who right away like he's right there on Stephen Colbert and some of these other jack wagons who are like Bill Gates tell us how you plan to save the world (laughs) well it's funny you should ask Stephen (laughs) and he's moving his hands like Ricky Bobby after he won his first race with happy clown malt liquor Uh, but, but anyway the the idea of a small group I'm very opposed to going I don't need to go down that path and I don't I don't find much fruit in going down that path of boiling everything down to like, well, it's the Freemasons or, well, it's the Jews or what I don't, I'm I'm not up for that. But I did notice during the COVID-19 pandemic, the more things would go on, you did see quite a bit of people realizing it's a, it's a a free for all and then hopping in Mm, and and be like, Oh, we can take advantage of this. I think of it as like, um, if you, if you were a kid from another 
country who has never seen a pinata party before. And maybe, well, maybe you and some other friends are, are visiting the United States or around my neck of the woods where you can find a lot of pinata parties. And you're observing these kids getting spun around. They've got the bat. The, the dad is like lifting it and kind of laughing or whatever while he's drinking a beer. And everybody's taking their swings and their, their wax, the pinata. You might be like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's, but you're intrigued. And you know something's going to happen, and there's going to be some joy. And as soon as that thing opens, you see all the candy spill out, and everybody starts rushing. You are not going to stand there as a kid and go, huh, that's what it was all about, and not go after the candy. Right. Yeah. You're going to run over there with all the other kids. You're going to scoop it all up as much as you possibly can, start stuffing it in your pockets and, and you know in your shirt and everything else. A lot of that happened during COVID-19. We should anticipate a lot more of that as we move forward. Uh, I know I, I'm very much into um, – I, I like to speculate with others what's going to happen next or what's the next direction. Yeah. How do you, how do you prepare? How do you prepare for all these things? I, I know some people, they're like, boy, I don't, I don't know how to prepare, but I've been listening to a lot of uh, – a lot of mystics and and the, I'm, I've got I got my beeswax candles ready and I'm saying these special <laughs> prayers and all this other stuff like that, and that's great that's mm-hmm. that that is good. It seems like if you were a betting man and you you listen to some of these go to people who seem to have some good insight on what is going to happen, like Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, uh, it and others. Uh, cyber attack down the road. This sounds plausible. Yeah. The grid going yeah. down. Yeah, that sounds plausible. Even before that, a depression probably seems the most likely. Uh, All it takes for a depression to happen is for the central bankers within a society to say, you know what, we're not giving out any more loans and we're calling in all debts right now. And there's your depression. Yeah. So, so you, if I'm, if I'm hearing you straight, you, you don't believe that the queen is a lizard. (laughs) No, she's a hippopotamus, dude. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm way beyond that. With dude, this. I never heard that one. I'm intrigued now. We got this shrinks down. It's like Santa Claus coming down the small chimney. Come on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, no, I. I mean, I'm. Uh, we've done extensive podcasts on secret societies, and I do laugh a little bit because we think when you think about it, like. How secret are they if, if we know about them? Right. But I do think there is, in like for instance, on the W, you know, like the World Economic Forum website, you can go on and see their young leaders, mm-hmm. and these people are all placed in in important, uh, you know, government positions. And especially if you're looking, if you're paying attention to Canada right now, there's a lot. They're in election season right now, and uh, there there's a lot going on, and a lot of these quote unquote truthers are ex- exposing these candidates as members of the World Economic Forum Young Leaders sure. Development. So something is shaping their worldview and shaping the direction of their policy that they want to push. You I just know. want to hop in real quick. And I was going to say, I remember I heard this in, in line with what you're going to say, just as, as an aside that um, people aren't allowed to just become billionaires. Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? Is that uh, this idea that there is some sort, you know, maybe – um, there, we, I think it's undeniable that there is not, uh, you know, in the true definition of the word conspire, you know, like something, a group of people working together to have 
in secret some sort of outcome. Yeah. Um, yes. And I was going to say, it. Uh, you know, you can't look at all these things. I mean, again, like how we started it all off with Francis Collins and now all of a sudden, or Ray Kurzweil, where you have a guy who's in the tech sector who, as far as I'm as far as I'm aware, has never worked directly as a federal, you know, maybe he's uh, been brought on as a consultant, uh, yes, probably, but, has, has right, been. with the federal government, but he's never been a federal government employee, right? Um, as far as I'm aware. And it'd be a pay cut for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> but it, it there is some it seems like there is some sense that like, again, like what you had said at the beginning of all of a sudden at once, all the nations shut shut down at once. I know. You know what I mean, I'd love to see the email that got sent out like two weeks before. <laughs> this like, is the day. Have you ever seen that? The, it the, was three. It was three. It was March 11th. Yeah. Three eleven. The, have you ever seen the meme where it's like shut it down, shut it down? <laughs> oh, and it's or it's like the lady from uh, Austin Powers, <laughs> send in the sharks, and yeah. send in the COVID, send in yeah. <laughs> Ukraine. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, you some know hope. <laughs> yes. Well, or let's just talk about practical. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, okay. So this is happening, and I'm just a guy. I got my, I've got a couple kids, a wife to take care of. And um, what can I practically do in my life to mm. prepare for this and to actually just hedge myself? We're talking about the writings on the wall. So what if they're hedging themselves, you know, like they, you were talking about shorting and longing, you know, the, uh, the mm. outcomes, what, what can we do? The answer is real simple. It's Bitcoin. Lots and lots of... No, I'm just joking. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it, Bitcoin might play into it in, in some regard. I actually yeah. know uh, some people that it's kind of like their go-to is, well, the cryptocosm, it decentral, we need more decentralized uh, power and control, et cetera. And yeah. I think there's some truth to that even beyond just the decentralized digital money. And, and that's kind of, that's not a fair assessment of what crypto is, but... Mm -hmm. The the consolation I have certainly found over the last couple of years, and a lot of the men that I network with and good practicing Christians, Catholics that I know, is the first you gotta get your spiritual house in order. Yeah. If mm -hmm. the last two years have not been your wake up call to go ahead and go, okay, all all the stuff that is in my life that is simply not bringing me closer to God simply needs to go then you're doing it wrong you you man the last two years if you're not to that point then you got catching up to do and you need to get on it yesterday yeah yeah so start there if you have your spiritual house in order it's going to be a lot easier for your head to be pointed in the right direction on what you should do on the natural order of things you would use the word hope i find that to be a very intriguing word because i think it's important to make a distinction between optimism and hope Hope is a virtue. Hope is a theological virtue. It is uh, not the same as optimism. Hmm. I have tremendous hope the more I see evil play out as heinously as it does in this world. And the reason why is because I know well enough that disorder doesn't exist or it's not a thing without order. It's got to be the opposite of something else. It's yeah. got to be the, the lack of order and the there is a 
just as there's a great disorder, Diablo, right? I divide mm-hmm. uh, Spanish for the devil. There is a great order of, of all things, and that's God. And he wrote in us all a human nature mm-hmm. that is far beyond in integrity and value of what all the animals and whatever the rest of his created uh, universe is. And there's a lot of pride to be had in that. And there's a lot of, uh, you should feel empowered. What does it mean for me to be a free man and to exercise that in uh, the year 2022? Well, it does not mean Freedom does not mean I have 25 flavors of Oreos to choose from when I go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that I'm able to sit down and, quote, binge watch Yellowstone, Uh, (laughs) which I find interesting. The uh, the whole binge thing, I, I go on this rant often. If I if I told you guys like, uh, hey guys, uh, I'm sorry I couldn't get on this podcast. I've been binge eating all weekend. <laughs> like I, I was I was in a almost a sugar induced coma on the couch. I mean, you guys would be concerned about me right away. <laughs> or if I told you I, I I binge drink all day long, and you know I people be really concerned for some reason. We're able to say we binge play, we binge watch Netflix, and it's like socially like, oh yeah, was it good? Tell me about it. Oh wow, so <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> this is an opportunity. Twenty twenty and beyond should be an opportunity for us all to go. Wait, what are my priorities? How do I embrace what it means to be authentically free and to be a a real steward in my own sphere of influence mm-hmm. to bring the most. Uh, uh, humanity I can into the equation to redirect other people, evangelize towards uh, what what God's real vision for the world, for the universe, for uh, for the free person who's made in his image and likeness, and how do I advance that where I can? And you've got to be humble about that. The hope is not uh, – Again, optimism would be it's all going to turn it's all going to turn out okay. It's going to be okay. It's and more on a natural level. I think of it, it would be more directed on the natural level of it's going to turn around. It probably won't turn around. But if you're a true believer, you know that you uh, you have a chance at where your real home is. The world is not my ship. It's it's uh, or the world is not my home. It's it's my ship. Mm-hmm. And the. Uh, if we're approaching the end of times or what have you, and perhaps we are, that should give you great consolation. And you should feel honored and, and blessed that God chose you for this specific time to be a hero, Amen. not to be somebody who uh, finds Yellowstone and binges for hours or, <laughs> or or just despairs or whatever, whatever other things you may have been doing before uh, COVID happened. Yeah. So particularly some of the things that, I have focused on with other people within my own network is I've challenged and a lot of guys challenged me to get more involved politically. Uh, Don't, don't overdo it. We've all got vocations. We've got families at home, but I had no idea what I could really do. Nobody really taught me what I can do other than vote in my general election. Yeah. I'll vote in my primary as well. If I feel like it, if I remember to in early August, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then maybe you hang a yard sign, right? And it was early on in, uh, or maybe, yeah, I don't know, late 2020, we're getting close to the election. I had a gentleman on, uh, I was on Facebook at that time. I've been off Facebook since January 6th. I was like, you know, I'm just done. People don't need, I, I don't need to have all my data out there for guys who collude together to shut down like Parler and, and other places on the internet, I'm sure, you know, to come. Mm-hmm. So that, but 
I had a guy who was on Facebook. He asked me, do you have any interest in becoming a PC? And I said, no, I don't want to become a personal computer. Thank you. And, and he goes, oh, no, 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 uh, uh, precinct committeeman. And the uh, there's a, a guy who Steve Bannon interviews quite a bit who's like the precinct committeeman strategist or strategy guy. Hmm. And you can go look this up. Uh, any any listeners who are interested, if you want to step up your game, one of the most minimal commitment opportunities you have politically to get involved in – well, I'm just going to say the Republican Party. I, I don't know how you go down the path of the party that is like so we're going to kill babies as our platform. And, yeah. and uh, Anyway, but <laughs> another, another day, another argument or another discussion. But if you want to get in on the – process whereby these different candidates who are going to represent you roots up in your own community where you can have some effect if you want to be able to either support them and go get signatures for them or ask them pressing questions when they come to your district meetings and present who they are what they're going to represent etc and really kind of give them a litmus test challenge them etc it's a great way to get started. And then down the road, if you feel like, man, I'm I'm feeling a little cocky right now. Maybe I'll run for school board. Okay, there you go. You've got an opportunity to help make sure that impressionable young minds are not totally jacked by some very subversive, very deliberately uh, mind-ruinous material that's out there to, to dumb down a generation, yeah. etc. If you want to run for city council, what, wherever you are, I've challenged a lot of other guys. We've been challenging ourselves to get involved more uh, politically. The other, the other thing that is uh, a big passion of mine is just making use of the land, the space, et cetera, that you have. Get um, If you know that, because like a lot of people, oh, prepping prepping's too crazy for me. I just, I don't know. Or my, my wife won't let me do it. All right, well, you, you're going to have to get over that. Start thinking about the different levels of prepping. Because, for example, right now, uh, gas, gas prices are, are bad. You should have known that. You knew that that was going to happen the moment Sleepy Joe got into office and shut mm -hmm. down Keystone Pipeline day one, and then the ice cream fell off of his ice cream cone into his lap while he held the pin. Like you knew that was going to happen. I bought a Prius. I never thought I would buy a Prius, but I drive a Prius because I knew the gas prices were going to get rotten. That's a form of prepping. I've swallowed my pride. I I paid a very <laughs> good amount of very uh, compared to because now you want to go buy a Prius right now. Oh, yeah. It's a lot higher than what it was just several months ago when I bought it. Um, if you know that food shortages are coming, you should be on that. Uh, myself, I'm blessed to have a little bit of acreage where I live. I have chickens. I have goats. We have uh, we have different opportunities to be able to to have it. So our uh, our food bill our, our food budget is not totally um, not totally jacked right now. So. Yeah. Those are those are just some of the practical things. The spiritual life, the the natural order. What can we do to to do more to be more consciously free men, uh, statesmen? If you're called to do that, and more uh, of a a very sincere and and just roll your sleeve up sort of provider for your family as well as a spiritual defender of your family. Yeah. 2020 started that calling for me. It started the calling for a lot of other guys uh, and gals. Embrace that and run with it as hard as you can. Beat. To, to combat the transhumanist, be as human as possible and throw it right back in their faces. <laughs> That's a great summation. Um, 
Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I was going to say I'm kind of still blown away by the fact that you own a Prius, but that I get it. <laughs> I was, it's, it's, I was. It was not fun it. buying a Prius, but I'm like, I am going to save, save. I get 48 miles a gallon, so can't beat that. Take, take that, Joe. I, I tell you, I drive. I build houses for a living, and I was, I was looking at this new Ford electric truck. And my my big hesit my big hesitation with that is the grid like they they could just shut it down boom right you're done, and then I'm stuck you know, but uh, but anyways I was looking at it just because gas prices are so expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like yeah. I can't uh, it's like should I jump into this thing and uh, and have a car payment and all this other stuff you know with but save money on gas because I'm spending. I don't know, four hundred bucks a month on gas, yeah. close close to four hundred. That's that's another yeah. car payment, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, I was gonna say, I I got caught up. I have to tell on myself. Um, maybe three weeks ago, one of my buddies got a uh, bought a Tesla, and for about it, I'll give it thirty six hours. It wasn't a full day. <laughs> it wasn't a full two days. I was considering buying a Tesla. I want. I was going to buy a Tesla. <laughs> Yeah, I and mean, now I'm not. The, the technology I mean, is incredible. I'm not going to lie. Like it's the it got this is what this is how I describe it. It got the geek in me, yeah. not the nerd in me, because the nerd in me is uh, super hyper paranoid and right, like right. knows too much about technology right. to ever trust any technology. Right. Um, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> I was going to say. I, I you know I have a master's in computer science. Um, I'm a tech. I'm a tech guy. I know this stuff. And this is like my my ethos is um, I'll go work and do technology stuff, which, you know, that's a field that pays pretty good. It's like I'll I'll go sell out my soul to, you know, uh, do computer stuff in order to live without needing any technology at all. (laughs) Like I want to keep everything at work. A lot of guys out there like that from what I Stand. It's the the more I learn, the more I just absolutely hate technology. But yeah. uh, I mean, so the it, dream. Got, it got the geek in me it was like, oh, it, it could do Rainbow Road on the GPS. It makes <laughs> it look like it's Mario. Right, right. But <laughs> anyway, uh, the soy face, right? Yeah, yeah. soy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the dream is like I was soy facing. Yeah, yeah. The dream is like uh, the the self sufficient off the grid yeah. property. You know, I've got solar panels for power. I've got a well, I've got livestock, you know, we can, we yeah. can make it happen. Tons of ammo. So when they come to try and take it, at least I put up a fight, something yeah. like that, you yeah. know, but there's a great verse out of Nehemiah that just reminds me of what you were talking about, Tyler. And it's Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14 and 15 and our 14. It just says, After I looked these things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Mm. And uh, that was when Nehemiah was facing uh, tantamount uh, opposition to his calling, which was to rebuild the wall to protect the city as they were re-inhabiting after being in exile. But... uh, that's what it reminds me of, and I think prepping is uh, a word that was purposely uh, construed to be tinfoil hat. It's like using the term conspiracy theorist. Like people, right. they were purposely 
you know, um, mis, you know, labeled as that to be as a as a way to to discredit them. Um, there was sure. a show on Discovery years ago uh, about preppers. I don't know if you if you ever. You, I know you don't watch a lot of TV, but um, one of the guys that was on that Discovery show, we've had him on our podcast. He's actually a friend of mine, and um, the, the whole reason that he started prepping was because a natural disaster happened and a bunch of people that he saw were not ready and they didn't yes. have they didn't have answers so for him it was yeah. a practical thing he was a police officer as well so his training kicked in so he's he decided you know I have a couple kids a wife we're never going to be in I'm not going to everything I can do to keep us from being in that situation I'm going to do Yes. And uh, he ended up getting a TV, <laughs> a small TV deal, which was cool. And he wrote a book about it and Good all. For him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can finance that without having to do extra work, um, heck yeah, go for it. But I think alternative financial uh, opportunities as well is good. I think what you're talking about crypto and I think I think there's a window for cryptocurrency because I do believe that once – the the central banks recognize and these governments recognize that they can't control it um they're not going to be happy about that and so they're going to put measures in place to really curb that however i don't know how they're going to do it but however they will try and do that well i know a lot of guys who uh they swear up and down that is not possible i i read uh life after google by George Gilder. Yep. Last year, fantastic read. Mm -hmm. he, um, he's a brilliant mind. He's underrated. He's anyway. He kind of goes through the first half of the book, scaring you about big tech and how much they know about you, and they're just a bunch of voyeurs who you're the product, dude. You YouTube right. is quote free because you're the product. Right. Data is all being sold to other people. And you're kind of it seems dehumanizing. I think it is dehumanizing in as much as we've been trained for some time to allow and accept such what I would call voyeurism. Other people would argue, well, it's not really voyeurism because you sign privacy policies or as I call them, lack of privacy policies. We uh, we sign privacy policies having zero. I don't care. And yeah. it's. Um, not that that makes it okay, but the more society requires that in order to basically function on a day-to-day -day basis in your job or in commerce, what have you, you have to continually click, I accept these things. Mm -hmm. Your boss is like, why did you not finish the training program yet? Well, I'm sorry, I've got to read through 30 more pages of, of legalese before I go ahead and accept. That would never fly. Right. So anyway, the um, – And this kind of goes back to what uh, you had asked as far as like, what are some things we can do? We, uh, if, if I, um, if I say Fang to a lot of people in like um, wealth management, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. They're, they're they've been the go-to places to put your money for the last 10 plus years because mm -hmm. it's just it doesn't slow down it's not going to covid-19 happened and surprise surprise everybody was 
forced to stay in their in their houses like SpongeBob SquarePants singing indoors with the chip, the paperclip, and the whatever else it was, uh, and their smartphone. And they're able to go ahead and order Amazon and, and watch more stuff on YouTube and, and Google, 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 and Facebook. And now I'm going to get into a war with somebody on Facebook. And I'm angry. And turns out the focus group says that if I'm angry, I'll be on Facebook longer and share more stuff, et cetera. It's all these companies, their wealth just exploded. Uh, an yeah. economist I appreciate is James Rickards. And this is a quote I've used quite a bit. But he said um, in an interview about a year ago, he made the the kind of James Rickards is uh, is fairly conservative economist. He's written books about like the war on cash by the global elitists and stuff like that in the mm-hmm. past. And he uh, he made this observation about a year ago that the real economy and the Dow Jones or the S and P five hundred economy couldn't be more divorced or separate as far as the reality of what the economy is. Yeah. Yeah. So. I remember Trump during when he was just getting hit every day, like you're mishandling COVID. He had to go out there and try to convince the world that everything was going great. And he'd go out there and be like, uh, Operation Warp Speed, it's moving along. You're welcome. I, I did. I did it. OK. And if you fill up, yeah, the, the gas is lower. If your 401k is looking healthy, you're welcome, uh, et cetera. Uh, trust me, I'm not anti-Trump, but there <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's doing during this process where I'm like, okay, but if you look at the stocks, they're going great. S and P 500, fantastic. That's because of me. No, it's not. It's because everybody's at home, locked into all this tech, and all this business is is climbing. People are one click Amazon shopping like it's their job. They know stimulus money is coming. They're already paying with that stimulus money that they know is coming. All the while, the mom and pop businesses are going, they're going to close. Uh, but anyway, the the stat that, um, that Rickards gives is that for the S&P 500, 40% of the index is from the top seven companies in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and then it is Microsoft, Apple, and Tesla mm-hmm. in no particular order. Uh, Google's number two, Apple's number one, I believe. But anyway, the uh, they make up 40% of the index. Right. So wh- right. the power we've given that we, in our choices as consumers, have given these guys, and if you listen to the things that that Elon Musk says about like, ah, oh, we're already cyborgs. You've already got the cell phone in your pocket. I'm just going to put it in your brain. Like, right. oh, thank you, Elon. <laughs> right. I mean, this is crazy stuff. I'm not giving you. I'm not giving him my money again. I. That's why I bought the Prius as opposed to the Tesla. Right. Uh huh. Yeah, that's <laughs> why. Had nothing to do with the eighty thousand dollars. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, or or Bill Gates is associate. I don't know how much he has in Microsoft anymore. Uh, Jeff Bezos is not a good guy. Yeah. Uh, Google, my goodness. In addition to Kurzweil, um, one of the other executives of of uh, Google just a couple years ago went ahead and filed. He registered with the IRS a religion that worships yep. artificial intelligence as a godhead. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, there's so many guys, in, and they're all big tech. They're all big tech companies. They're the ones who are in control of the world right now. Or one could make that argument very easily. Yeah. Now, one of the things you had said, one of you had said earlier about um, uh, big corporate 
plutocracy, uh, communist sort of what have you. One of the easiest, um, if you if you just need like a five minute summary, go back to 1976, the movie Network, mm. where Ned Beatty, and I can't remember the character he's playing, but he has that big rant that he goes on in the boardroom with the uh, with with the guy who says I'm mad as hell and and uh, not gonna take it anymore. Yeah. So he goes on this rant. The the CEO of the of the news corporation goes on a rant and he's like. There are no societies. There's no human. There's no nations. There's look. There's Exxon. There's AT and T. There's IBM. There's etc. Those are the new nations. There's no democracy anymore. Etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Back in the year 1976, the companies he names, it's like, ooh, that's bad. But I think about Exxon, for example, or I think about uh, those who are producing my food, etc. I'm not as intimidated. By fast forward to now, the companies that have the most power and the most control in the world right now mm-hmm. are run by a bunch of super nerd obsessive. I don't. You can't even hold a normal conversation with these people, transhumanist people who are like, "Yeah, we're going to go ahead and fundamentally alter human nature. You're going to be so happy you uploaded your mind file into a cyborg." Mm-hmm. So anyway, Gilder yeah. did a decent job of – well, he did a very good job of, of getting into that in the book, uh, Life After Google. I, I very much recommend that read. The second half is him going, all right, now look at the cryptocosm and what that has to offer in terms of decentralization of power, smart contracts, et cetera, all the things that can be done. I find it very intriguing. That's not been, uh, not been a big uh, focus of, of my study since reading that. I had bigger takeaways. But – it's kind of interesting. A couple of guys I've recommended the book to, they have totally gotten into the cryptocurrency because of that part of the book. Yeah. yeah. So we're well worth the read. The only problem Don't. is is that when you have something that it depends on the internet, uh, all they have to do is pull the plug. That's the thing that scares me. If they cut the internet, then done. <laughs> I, although I know everything depends on – like everything they're building depends on this, you know, this internet structure. So I get that, but you know, yeah, whole other can of worms. <laughs> I was gonna say whole other conversation, but yeah, yeah. Wow. Man, well, this has been awesome, Tyler. I really, really do appreciate you spending so much time with us. Yeah. you know, on this topic, I'm really looking forward to this book, the new standard. When when you get it out, uh, do you have? Uh, <laughs> Do you have a projected estimated date or time that you want to, like the spring or the fall? Like, when's it coming out? That is, it's a great question. When <laughs> I first, when, when I first started writing, because at this point, like when I sit down and write something on my blog, I can hammer out something that's five pages and that I'm pretty proud of as far as loading in some good citations. And I think it's quality. And I can do it fairly quickly. So when I first started writing this book, I'm like, I'll be done by the end of February. But the more you study and the more you're writing, the more your mind opens up to Mm -hmm. you need this path of studying this and figuring this out, et cetera. But I'm I've set a I've been setting more deadlines. My estimated uh, point in finishing the book is going to be by the end of May. And then uh, and then. If you want to buy a book, I know, <laughs> a webs- I know of a website where you'll be able to purchase a digital copy. And then uh, I don't know. I don't know how many physical published copies I want I want to have. I'd really like to be able to uh, to have this book 
kind of very apropos available in the cryptocosm as well. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But yes, my projected is by the end of May, I should be done writing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I was going to say, I am a physical book copy guy. So you gotta, you gotta get one, at least one for me. Well, to make that too. No, I'm just speaking for me. Uh, I only need one. Yeah, you need one. I I want one also. (laughs) But I would say I'm the type of guy, I hold it in my lap. I make, I circle things. I highlight things. I write notes in the margin. That's how every single, every single book I have, I do that too. You know, it's a bad, it's a bad habit because sometimes I don't remember why I wrote what I wrote when I reread it or something. (laughs) Well, when it is ready, gadflyreport.com. That's G-A-D-F-L-Y report.com you'll be able to either order that physical publish uh, publication or be able to download it digitally so it'll fantastic. be available for you. fantastic awesome we'll put the links to yeah. to your gadfly report uh in our show notes as well uh but man this has been really enlightening mm-hmm. it's been something we it's been a long time coming we've been wanting to we our, our listeners have deserved to hear something like this for a long time um, since 2018 when we last really touched on it. Yeah. But if you haven't listened to our previous one on transhumanism, what was it? Episode 19. 19, I think. Yeah, episode 19. So here we are at 125, bringing it back up. <laughs> uh, it's only gotten worse, but uh, someone like Tyler on in this space is going to be a big help. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend all of our listeners heed to those things that he was talking about, the practicality. You know, um, you know, get your spiritual house in order, mm-hmm. uh, try and, and get practical about being prepared, you know, think, do what you can do with what you have and uh, don't overthink it and don't, don't freak out if you can't do exactly what you want to do, but work towards that, you know, point yourself in the right direction and make baby steps towards it. That always helps. Mm-hmm. Always, always helps. But Tyler, thank you so much, man. Yes. Uh, thank you guys for having me. You guys are too fantastic gentlemen uh really appreciate that you guys were generous enough to invite me on and talk a little bit about what i've what i've been up to yeah Yeah, absolutely well in your next book let's team up and we'll talk about lizard cabals that run the world how's that (laughs) i'll let you guys do most of the talking (laughs) (laughs) all right but when your book does come out we would love to have you come back or at least let us know so we can let our audience know you know whatever works out perfect awesome well thank you tyler yeah we'll talk thank you guys Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWCast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.